and most importantly, God sees you. We're going to be diving in Exodus 14, and there are going to be some touch points on leadership. I'm just going to tell you, buckle in, because I don't know what to expect other than the fact that God is going to move mightily. Before we dive into the word, I ask that you would pray for me and pray with me. Father, we're abundantly grateful that you, a faithful God, continues to show up and do what only you can do. And it's because of that truth that we confidently step into this space, believing that you meet us at the point of our need. And so, Lord, as we continue in a high time of worship, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through the reading of your word, through the exposition of your word. Lord, that you know where we are and you knowing where we are would encourage our hearts so that we would be able to confidently declare that I am no longer a slave to fear because I'm a son and a daughter of the Most High God. May you make that real to us on this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 14, in its entirety. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahirath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done? that we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For, if, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, 
you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand. And on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. It's good all by itself. As the passage opens up, it lets us know that Israel has a situation. The full force of the Egyptian army is barreling down before them. And there's a massive body of water in front of them. And we see that the children of Israel find themselves in this situation, but not as a result of sin. Verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back 
and to encamp in front of Pihahirath. And then the latter part of verse 4, and they did so. The children of Israel found themselves camped out where they were in obedience to God. And God let them know that when this happened, Pharaoh would come after them. So the situation that Israel finds themselves in is the result of obedience. And that right there is enough to have at least a sermon series. Because in our 21st century thinking, some have been deceived to believe that obeying God means pleasant, easy, green pastures. But if you read Genesis through Revelations, it's hard to really come away with that storyline and be grounded in Scripture. When we're obedient to God, it's oftentimes a guarantee that you're going to be displeasing to man, which is why Jesus tells us that you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake and that we're going to experience trouble in this life. And that's the situation that Israel finds themselves in between a rock and a hard place as they go in obedience to the Lord. And the word lets us know why it is that Pharaoh comes barreling down on them with the full force of the Egyptian army. Pharaoh got news that the people had fled. Now, if you were here last week and the week before, you know the people didn't flee. Pharaoh sent them out. He said, get out, go and worship your God. But Pharaoh had always been skeptical of the nation of Israel going to worship their God. We were walking through the plagues for the last couple of months, and what we saw was Pharaoh continually changed his mind because he really didn't believe that the children of Israel would go and worship and return. And so now, as they look like they're wandering about, Pharaoh has this thought, see, I knew they were up to no good. They had an evil intent. They were trying to escape. And Pharaoh changes his mind, and the servants of Pharaoh change their mind towards Egypt or towards Israel and what they told them to go and do. And so now they're going to retrieve their possessions, the nation of Israel, and all that they took from them as well. So Pharaoh changed his mind once again. And that's just an important point for us to understand because you could think, oh, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, yes, he hardened Pharaoh's heart, but it's because Pharaoh had a hard head. Pharaoh refused to obey the commands of God. And what we talked about not too long ago, you repeatedly reject the commands of God? Well, you're going to find yourself by yourself and being considered an enemy of God. You don't ever want to be on the wrong side of God's wrath. But that's where Pharaoh found himself. So Pharaoh changed his mind. And then we see God harden Pharaoh's heart. And this set up the scene of this situation for the children of Israel. But then we see in verses 10 through 18, the response. We see the response of the people of Israel. We see the response of the leader of Israel, Moses. And most importantly, we see the response of God, the God of Israel, says that when Pharaoh drew near, verse 10, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. 
They saw what was coming towards them. And this is no small scene, so we're not going to sit here and make it look like Israel just had a whole bunch of issues that we would never deal with. I don't know why they were scared. It was the most powerful nation with the most powerful army coming after them, and they got all their toys, the tanks, the planes, the trains. Yeah, they're bringing it all to come after. It wasn't like, oh, they're just a bunch of slaves. We've been overpowering them for centuries. We just, just bring a few swords. No, they brought the entire army. That's a scary scene. And Israel feared greatly. And just like the Lord knew that they would do if they saw war, they changed their minds about what they were going to do. We see they cried out to God, and that wasn't a cry out, Lord, help us. That was a cry out of, Lord, why are we here? And we can see that based on how they respond to Moses. Why would you bring us out of Egypt? So that we could die in the wilderness? Like, didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Now you got us out here about to die. Right? And that's what we learned last week with the long road home. The Lord didn't let them go through the land of the Philistines because he knew that if they went through and they saw war, that they would change their minds and turn back. And some people were like, but yeah, but how did, I mean, he could at least give them a shot and let them see. No, God is God. He knows the beginning, the middle, and the end. And he knew they would change their mind. And this just confirms that they would change their mind because they just changed their mind. They're ready to go back to Egypt because they see war. Their eyes causing them to feel a different kind of way. But then we see the great God-honoring leader that Moses is. Moses encourages them in the Lord. Verse 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Fear not. Stand firm. See, what Moses was letting the people know is that you can't fear and stand firm. The children of Israel, because of what they were seeing come at them, they allowed the fear to consume them, and now they were changing their minds. The scriptures let us know that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So when you find yourself being led by your emotions, you're probably in an unstable place. And so Moses tell him, don't fear what you see. Stand firm on who you know. God is going to deliver us from this situation. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Now, the Hebrew word translated be silent literally means be quiet. But in the context in which it's written in here, what Moses is communicating to the people is that you merely need to have a rest in your soul. So he's communicating a silence that's birthed out of trust because of who God is. Be silent. Be still. Rest in the fact that God's God is. You only need to trust in God. Be still. Stand firm. Trust God. And not you might see, you will see the salvation of the Lord. But in order to see that, you've got to stand firm. You have to trust that God is faithful. But I love how the passage continues on. 
Because while Moses, being the God-honoring leader that he is, encourages the people in the truth of who God is and that they could stand firm and trust him, we see that Moses had a question himself. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? So Moses, God is going to deliver us. Don't fear what you see. Stand firm on who you know. Hey, God, real quick, how that's going down? I mean, he had a question. Like, God, we need your help. So Moses wasn't concerned if God would come through, but he also didn't know how he would come through. Look, Moses looking at the same situation. The army of Egypt is barreling down, and there's a big body of water before us. I know that you can. I believe that you will. I'm just not quite certain how we're going to do that thing. So just a real, real quick question. Can you help a brother out? I just, just need a little bit of direction here. Right? And so Moses crying out to the Lord, but not like Egypt, not a why cry, a what would you have me to do cry, Lord? And God, graciously, tell the people of Israel to go forward. See, you just, I just, my, my spiritual imagination, I just see the whole thing folding out. And I'm thinking, do you see what's in front of me? <laughs> like, that's, that's just how my mind works. Welcome into the mind of Michael. But, you know, I just, I'm just thinking, how must Moses have entered into this conversation? Because sometimes we make Moses out to be a superhero. No, Moses was a man, was a human just like you and I. Don't worry, we're going to see some, some human moments even in the great God-honoring man of Moses, right? But we have to engage with this and know that Moses wasn't a superhero. So I just imagine Moses looking, oh, he said, now forward? Like how far forward are we talking about you wanting us to go? Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That's good, God. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. God gives Moses direction. And God bless Moses. Because Moses stuck out his hand. I'm like, so, like, stick out my hand. Are you sure? You know, Moses has seen God enough where he was willing to trust God and obey God. But God gives him direction. And see, we're going to unpack it in just a little bit. But I just feel like to tease it out here for a moment. I mean, think about you receiving those instructions. What do you do? So this body of water in front of me and what you want me to do, I mean, like real talk, is stick out my hand and divide the sea. Maybe if I'd seen that before, I'd be like, okay, yeah, like the last time, I've never seen anything like that before. So how exactly am I supposed to stick out my stick? Like, what do you need from me? Like, I don't know what we're doing here. Where are we going right now? I mean, I have about 101 questions. I haven't even started thinking of the questions yet. It's like, where are we going? Right? And that's a problem that we deal with. It's at least a problem that I deal with. I'll just speak about Michael. I'm a planner at heart. I plan out A through Z and then work my way back and go Z to A, and then I think about if it's a good idea to go from A to B. That's a hard way to live, <clears throat> right? Because God doesn't even give you B, much less A and a half. I mean, he says, just take a little baby. So like, like, hold on, like when you say B, like, I mean, can you give me a little, like, I just need a guarantee at least to double you. You know, like, get us out here a little further. No, God is saying, just do this. And see, this is the beauty, again, if we understand the reality of the text, that Moses has come to know God enough that he didn't need to know how, he just needed to know what. All right, you want me to stick out the stick? I'm sticking out the stick, and we're just going to divide. We will divide the water. But Moses is willing. 
to trust God like he's calling the children of Israel to. And then the story unfolds in a beautiful way where God lets Moses know, I will get glory over Pharaoh. And then the angel of the Lord creates a force field between the nation of Israel and the Egyptian army. Oh, what a sight. You all really have to read your Bible and let it open up your mind. So I just, I just picture the force field, right? I mean, what a beautiful night that that must have been for Egypt and at the same time terrifying because they don't know what they're going to do still. And then Moses sticks out his staff. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Lord parted the sea and we might stop and think that that was the solution. No, that was the pathway. That was God's response of how he was going to work. But again, I just don't want us to skip by them like, oh, that was cool. The seas parted and then they walked through it. Again, let's just back up and let's make this a human moment here. God did a miracle, but there are humans walking through the water. Anybody in here ever walked through a sea on dry ground with a wall of water on your left hand and your right hand? Okay, exactly. So if you see two walls of water and you're told to walk through it, what are you thinking? Absolutely not. There's, if you can do that, can't you build a bridge? Like, give me something a little bit more stable. This is not an aquarium. Like, I just need to see that something's holding the water back. You just want me to walk through on dry ground? The solution or the pathway to the solution was probably equally as scary as the situation. Right? And if we don't process that, we'll think that the pathway to the solution is supposed to be on plush, pleasant pathways. And we're just going to skip through the path. No, it's the valley of the shadow of death. This is absolutely terrifying. I'm picturing walking through with my family. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Don't, don't look at that fish. We got to go. I, I don't know what's... Like, I'm not sitting here. Wow, look at the whale. And just look at the water. This is not a scenic view. Let's go. It's a body of water. And we've never seen anything like this before. Right? That's what God calls us to, though. Do you trust him enough? To walk through a sea that you've never seen look like that before. Well, I believe what compelled the children of Israel to walk through as well. I mean, that's scary. <laughs> that's terrifying. Right? And so I'm going to go ahead and make my way across this water. I believe sometimes the Lord knows how to stir our pot a little bit too. Because if it were up to us, we'd just sit and comfortable. The Lord sometimes needs... An army barreling down on us so that we'll trust him and walk through a sea on dry ground and not just say, Lord, I'm not doing that. You're going to have to move another way before I obey you. Like, oh, are you? Egypt up. <clears throat> Let's get them moving through. Right. And so the children of Israel, they walk through on dry ground. Scary, though. Let's again, let's not make it. The high and holy moment, that wasn't it. They didn't start praising while like, oh, thank you, Lord, for the sea. They weren't praising. They were sprinting. And then what blows my mind is that God moves the force field. Now, again, spiritual imagination, I don't know when he moved the force field. Were they halfway through? Were they on the other side? Were they just about getting the, the last few people out of the river? When did it happen? Not quite sure. But at some point, it happened. 
And I don't care if we were all on the other side. What are you thinking when the Lord moves the force field and you see chariots and horses coming through the same dry ground that you came through? Why did you? I'm like, there are more questions that come up. Right? Like, are you really? Like, do something. Let's go. They're coming. There must have still been fear stirring up on the inside. And God says, I'm going to get my glory over Pharaoh and his host. Now, listen, right, because we may feel bad for Pharaoh that his heart was hardened. But again, his head was hard. You have to be ignorant, arrogant, and bullheaded to walk into the middle of a sea that's been split open by God. After you've seen the force field and the ten plagues, like, I'm like, nah, guys, I think they got away this time. Like, what would make you think that you're going to enter into that? Like, did you not remember the 10 plagues? Well, welcome to plague number 11. I mean, like, why would you go in? Right? That just shows you how hard Pharaoh's head and heart were that he would just go headlong into that sea. But God intended that for a purpose, that he might get his glory over the Egyptians. Verse 28, the waters returned. And covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. The solution to their slavery problem, the Lord absolutely smushulated the Egyptians. <clears throat> All right. I tried. I was like, Michael, don't use that word. <clears throat> you just can't make up words. See, I'm a pastor, right? And as a pastor, I try to explain the incomprehensible things of God. At times, you just need to make some words up, right? So, so that's a made-up word, but that's not even my made-up word. That's my son's made-up word. You know, David made up a word, but he's a pastor's kid, so I raised him up in the way that he should go. But I just felt like, son, thank you for making up that word because that describes perfectly what just happened here, right? They got smushulated. The water literally smushed them, right? So smushulation is happening all up in the scriptures. That's the solution. Now, at this point, it's just a matter of seeing how many times I can say smushulation in a sermon. But <clears throat> you see the solution. God crushes the enemy. And now we see the response to the solution. Verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They saw the great power of God. And now they no longer feared the Egyptians because they just got smushulated. Now they fear God because they saw his great power and they're willing to worship God. Wonderful. Thank you all. Have a great day. Right, you're right. <clears throat> if that happened, you're like, wait, but that doesn't, that doesn't quite tell the story. It doesn't. If we end there, it could look like we get the point of this passage being captured. But if we just end here, we really miss the true situation. And we miss the real solution. 
See, the true situation was not the full force of Egypt barreling down or the water in front or even the walls of water on the left and the right. The true situation was Israel's sight. They were driven by what they saw. What they saw determined how they felt and how they felt drove how they responded. Right? And so here on the first portion with the situation, they saw what it looked like and they feared greatly the nation of Egypt. But remember now, this is the same people of Israel who saw the 10 plagues, who plundered their enemy by a request, took their silver, their gold, and their jewelry. They were ready to go to worship, but now they saw something different. And just that quick, they changed their minds, right? And then you look at the end of the section and you're like, oh, but then they saw the great power of God and then they worshiped God. Yes, but that was because they were still being driven by sight. This would be the cyclical problem of Israel throughout their wilderness wanderings. They were on a roller coaster of emotion. We see God move, yay. We don't see, we see a bad situation, whoa, right? And they're just riding that roller coaster. Their true situation was they were driven by their sight. And the real solution was that they needed to stand firm and be silent. They needed to be driven by their faith. It wasn't that the nation of Egypt was devastated. No, Moses was telling them to stand firm, fear not, be silent before they even saw the solution. Right, because the message that Moses was looking to make clear, it's not the situation. The problem before you, behind you, beside you, it's the fact that God is with you. Through it all, the same God who delivered you out of Egypt is the same God who will see you through this situation. And so we don't have to wait until we see the end. We can praise him now because we know that he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now, and he'll continue to be faithful until the day that he calls us home. Stand firm. You only have to be silent. God didn't bring us this far to leave us. See, God had a different plan. The request was to go and worship a three-day's journey. But God wanted to make it clear that you shall never see these Egyptians again. You're not coming back. You're not going a three days journey to worship and then coming back. I'm freeing you for good. So sometimes we're going through and it doesn't look too good, but God always has more in store. And if we can just stand still, we will see the salvation of God. I know it may look bad. But don't lose heart. Be of good courage. He's in the room. He's never failed. The Lord will fight for you. And this same truth that Moses would share with the nation of Israel is the same truth that God continues to share with us through his word. You do not have to be a people that lose heart. We can be a people who are always of good courage, no matter what it looks like, no matter what you're going through. Scary situation, and even a scary pathway to the solution, still be of good courage. Not because of 
what it looks like, but because I know who God is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, start reading at verse 6. Paul communicates the same truth to the New Testament church, to you and to me, and it's the same truth that we see in the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, the creator of the universe, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Summary, God's with us. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you and lives in me. How does this dictate then, Paul, the way that you go through the situations that you experience in life? Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So although we're going through Because we know who goes through with us and the purpose for our going through so that more people might experience the love of Christ. That's what Paul says. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, this body, is destroyed, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We don't lose heart because we know what God has guaranteed. We stay a people of good courage because we don't walk by faith. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. It's not what we see. That's temporal. This is a tent. We look at the things that are not seen. The things that are eternal, where God is building a house that can never be destroyed. So Paul goes on to write chapter 5, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, 
we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whatever we are at, home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We are always of good courage, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always of good courage. Like, do you mean always or always? Like, which always are you talking about? There's only one always. It doesn't matter what we're going through. We are always of good courage because we walk by faith and not by sight. We know that we have a home is what Paul is saying. And because of this reality, it changes the way I experience this reality. I live with one purpose in mind. One aim, to please him. So whether there's a situation or a scary solution that we're working our way towards, I'm living to please God because God's got me. And so if we can really see ourselves in this story with the nation of Israel, what is it that causes you and I to get distracted to not have that kind of resolve, to always be of good courage. What causes you to start to fear, even though we've seen God be faithful? Right? And this, these are the things that I wrestle with throughout the week. I never go into the scriptures looking like, oh, man, what's going to be a good word for you? No, I'm asking the question, Lord, what is the word that you're speaking to me? Because I want to continue to run this race well. And the question that I was walking through and wrestling with that may be helpful for you, you may not need it, but was where is your focus? Because what you are focusing on will determine your faithfulness. If we are looking at the army, the body of water, and the walls, we're going to fear. And when we're driven by fear, we're not living in faith. And then our anxiety goes through the roof, right? And I know this well from experience. We find ourselves being tossed to and fro. God is still God, right? The children of Israel were fearful. They feared greatly. But the pillar of cloud and fire was there all along. But they were so focused on the army that they forgot the faithful God was present in their midst. And this is why I can't laugh at Israel. Because when I want to get ready to laugh, it's like, Michael, that's you. Like, you're afraid of that? When you know God is right here? Like, where's your focus? Right, it's that thought that the quarter can block out the sun. I mean, that was cute when you were a kid, but now we've gotten a little older. We know that that's not. The quarter doesn't really block the sun. Like, oh, look at that. The quarter blocks the sun. No, it could never block the sun. But we make things that quarter. Like, oh, God. Where are you? Why? I know we should have never. It's like, hold on, just move. I mean, that's, that's a situation. But God's bigger than that situation. Right? And we can lose sight of that. And then we could come in here and just keep going through the motions instead of really engaging with the word of God and realize, you know, God is calling some of us out. 
but because he loves us too much to leave us in that place. I was having a conversation with somebody uh, earlier this week, and they asked the question, who do I go and talk to so that I can just have my pity party? Because they were talking to me, and I was encouraging them. And like, but I just want to sit in it. I said, no, you can't afford to sit in it. We can't stay in the pity party. We need to be thinking on things that are lovely, true, of a good report. When we sit in it, then we miss the picture of God who's present with us. And then we start waffling and wavering. God's still here, but we're not experiencing him. And if I can ask you a question, are you experiencing the fullness of the peace and the joy of God today? Because Jesus purchased it for you and for me. There's nothing in this life that can take away what God has given. However, there are things in our life that we can allow to be a distraction from seeing the full glory of God in our lives. And the Lord is saying, Michael, I'm here with you, but I'm disturbed, I'm rattled, I'm fearing, but I'm here. I I need to focus on the Lord. And that's what the Lord is teaching, the same lesson to Israel, the same lesson that that Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth is the same lesson the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. Where's your focus? What's distracting us from seeing God rightly and responding rightly to him? What are you waiting for before you give God praise? Does he need to prove himself to us again? Were the templates not enough? And if that wasn't enough, you say, well, he just needs to do this and then I'll praise him. But you know that's not true. Because then when the next situation comes, it's forever going to be a transactional relationship instead of a relationship built on trust. God, I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know how this is going to come together. But all I need to do is be silent. Stand firm. And I know I will see the salvation of God. Challenge for us today, because I felt this in my soul for this family. So take it personally. Colossians chapter 3. Asking yourself the question, where's my focus? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's the same thing that we just read in Corinthians. Knowing that these things are temporal, I stay focused on that which is eternal. I'm seeking things above. I'm setting my mind, my heart, my affections on things above. Can we just have real talk for a moment amongst family? If we're not honest, then we'll say, oh, no, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. But the truth is we are surrounded by goods and services. And so we start seeking after other things to satisfy. You know, I know God, but I'm still seeking the promotion. 
I just need to get this thing to go well, and then I'm, I know it'll get better. Right? It's very much like the children of Israel. It's that roller coaster ride. Right? I'm seeking something other than. And God's no, seek me. Seek him. Set your mind on things above. Don't be distracted by the shiny objects in this life. Look, don't let the woodlands woo you to sleep. Right where you are convinced, I go for a walk down Creekside because God in his grace and mercy has allowed our family to live in Creekside. That, that's a whole other story for another day. But as I'm walking down the street, Creekside Drive, $800,000 homes. You don't need to feel bad about it if you have an $800,000 home. Just invite me over for lunch. $800,000 homes. Right, and I'm walking by. I'm just, just real talk for a minute. I'm walking by thinking, man, that is a nice house. I like a house like that. Yeah, and I mean, and this is my quiet time with the Lord when I'm going on this walk, mind you. Right, the Lord just, like what you focused on, Michael. You're right, but did you see? I mean, it's just tall ceilings. I know I'm a short guy, but I mean, still, you're just a little bit like, man, that's just high. <clears throat> you see these things. We're flooded by it. And you're lying to yourself if you don't say that, hey, I mean, uh, where I grew up, I'd never even seen a Maserati. I heard the name. I just didn't know they were real. I've seen at least three a day. Like, who in the world has a Maserati? I mean, the Woodlands is wealthy. And we could start to chase after that. I need to keep up with the people in the Woodlands. I got to work harder, go longer, go faster. And we burn ourselves out. Meanwhile, God is saying, hello, seek me. Set your mind on things above. Look, I pray that this is all up in our personal space on this morning. I really do. Because I sit down and counsel people on a daily basis. And I could tell you that the peace of God is not being fully experienced, though the presence of God is right here, right now. Are you willing to be determined to leave here grabbing a hold of the peace of God? I want to invite the praise team back up because I want you to sit in that <clears throat> for a few minutes. Like, are we willing to not settle for the temporal things, for the things that look good, the things that sound good, things that smell good, but because we know that these things are transient, we're not chasing after those things. Now, hear me well, please. I'm not saying that you can't have those things, but it's one thing to possess those things. It's a whole different thing to know that those things possess you. And you know when your possessions possess you because now you're living to keep your possessions. And if God came into your space and said, I want you to bless Michael with $4 million, Lord, speak to him. You're like, but I mean, like four million or four million? There's only one four million. Let's go, move. <clears throat> You're like, oh, well, that's hard. You see, possessions possessing you. God did not bless us so that we can hide out in the tree lines. People of God, we need to break out. And we need to wake up from those things which are lulling us to sleep. And so if this is for you today, let's just engage. And it may, not, it may not be money. It may be something else, something other than God, something that's causing you anxiety, fear, doubt, worry. I'm just a simple person with a 
simple message that I believe is really significant. God is in the midst. It's not what's behind, before, or beside. It's who is with you and where he is. We will see the salvation of the Lord. Are you ready to experience the fullness of the peace of God? The fullness of the joy of God? Then for just a few minutes, you and Jesus, what are you willing to let go of so that you can grab a hold of peace? And that may be literal. It may be figurative. You and the Holy Spirit, I believe he's in the room. And he speaks to our hearts. I know what it is for me. So I'm not preaching at you. I'm going to be praying with you because there's some things that creep in and become distractions. It's like, man, but he's right here. He's in the room. Go get what God's got for you. Peace and joy. So for just a couple of minutes, if you need to kneel, if that's helpful posture for you, if you want to stand, if you just need to have a quiet nook, whatever it is, just a couple of minutes, you and Jesus. And then I'll pray for us and we'll continue in a time of praise.